0: Hi, this is David Housen, and you're listening to the Sound Architect podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect podcast. I'm your host, Sam Hughes, and I'm joined by the wonderful David Housen. Thanks for joining us today, David. How are you?
0: my pleasure mate how are you
1: i'm very well thank you and uh, it's sunny as ever here in the uk isn't it it's always uh, uh great i'm looking
0: forward to some <laughs> california sun mate i have to say
1: i bet yeah because you're off to gdc in a couple of weeks or next week isn't it it's next week next
0: week yeah yeah fly out on monday so i can't come too soon to be honest
1: yeah well i have to admit i'm extremely jealous so uh, i hope you have a wonderful <laughs> time and have a doubly wonderful time for me
0: Yeah and I'll I'll make sure I have a beer or two. Yeah
1: definitely. So you've been a very very busy man since the last time we spoke. Um, It's been a couple of years since we last uh, interviewed you.
0: It has. It has been a while hasn't it yeah.
1: And I think the last thing we spoke about was volume but since then what have you been up to?
0: Um, Well volume came out uh, towards the back end of 2015. Um, Then after that my next thing was actually um, Sony wanted us to do uh, something bespoke for um, uh, to launch with PSVR. So we worked on a project called Coda, uh, which was kind of taking the concept of volume, but um, applying it in a way that kind of uh, had a bit more interaction and made sense in a VR setting. So that was quite cool to look at from an audio perspective, um, even if the kind of change in format didn't necessarily affect the music too much just having those kind of options to play around with the sound design gave us some cool opportunities to do some nice integration and stuff so uh, it was a different it was a different challenge it was my first um VR project so it was nice to kind of explore the technology and um, yeah. you know see the possibilities uh within that side of the world so yeah that was cool and then after that I've been working on quite a few long-term projects. So like I've had sort of three or four 24-month development cycles that I started then. So we're just starting to get into the release window for some of those, which is nice because... It's always a good feeling, isn't it? Oh, it's never (laughs) nice having to, you know, just be like, oh, you know, cool things coming, but can't really talk about them now. Yeah, big stuff going on. Yeah, exactly. You know, (laughs) all the vague booking and stuff. So Yeah. um, yeah, it really has been a kind of couple of years just in the studio since then. Um just actually doing the kind of nitty grif- uh, nitty gritty and the grafting. Nice. Um but yes, uh so the first of those projects uh, actually came out on Tuesday this week. So that's super cool. Uh that was called Cube Two.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Congratulations on the release. Thank you very much indeed. Seems to be very well received so far.
0: Yeah, it's actually reviewing really well. Um with kind of averaging eight out of ten across the board on Metacritic currently. So um that's always good. Yeah, really nice to kind of um I don't know, like we were kind of quietly happy with the job that we'd done ourselves. Like we all really feel like we put a lot into it on a personal level and um, we're very happy with the final product. But until it's actually out there, you never know how people are going to take it. And um, it's nice to have that kind of faith, um, uh, you know, re- restored when y- y- you see that, that all of that work wasn't actually for waste and it has resonated with people. So um yeah it seems to it seems to be going very well we were in the top sellers on steam for the first couple of days Excellent and stuff. uh you know we'll we'll start to get our analytics through over the next week and stuff and see how it's doing but um yeah all of the signs are very positive so far and uh, on a personal level it's just nice to kind of actually be able to share some uh, some new music again instead of uh you know, assuring people that good things are on the way. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm working. I promise. There's stuff coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been
0: on holiday for 24 months. Honestly.
1: Yeah. So it's quite an interesting concept, Cube, uh, cube Two, isn't it? Like, it's yeah. Um, was it the British archaeologist who wakes up on a strange alien planet?
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's um. And has to kind of survive the puzzles of the cube, right? It's kind of well it's a continuation in a sense of the universe created in the, in the uh, director's cut version of the first one, um, which has a really cool story, but at the same time, it's a completely standalone, um, you know, experience that can be enjoyed by itself. So anyone who's kind of remotely into um, the sci-fi films, like moon, solaris, uh, sunshine, um, those kind of slightly modern contemporary, Films with quite a dark edge. Yeah. Uh, this is this is really an homage to that kind of storytelling and those kind of settings. And musically, that was such a such an exciting tapestry to get to explore. Yeah, stuff like Clint Mansell, um, uh, Cliff Martinez, oh, cool. uh, really really great composers who I admire a lot. Um, Trent Reznor, uh, and it also it was also like a probably the, f- the first time I've really worked on a completely synth driven soundtrack as well because typically uh I always try and sneak sort of organic traditional instrumentation in because that's my my jam that's what I learned (laughs) on it you know I'm like yeah you know I'm an old-fashioned guy um and also I I never had any experience uh kind of doing electronic music production um until I did start composing professionally yeah my entire background as you know was kind of band-based so um I think it's something that maybe has taken me a while to grow into and then this project i really got to run with that and kind of explore um what i could do with that sort of palette
1: yeah definitely and i do want to say and uh, i hope you don't mind me saying this but when we first spoke originally so we we kind of originally spoke off the back of thomas was alone yeah um right back in the early days of, of, of your kind of composing career yeah um and you've come along leaps and bounds since then and from from the way we spoke then you were very much like, yep, it's all just blown my mind. This is amazing. I'm, I'm, you know, learning all this new stuff. I'm doing all these new things. Um, and would you would you say it's fair to say that now you're a lot, a lot more accustomed to the world of composition and you're like, right, OK, I've got my head in the game with this. I know a bit more about that. And are you exploring newer opportunities because of that?
0: Yeah, 100 percent. But also I still feel very much like I'm at the beginning of my career and I'm <laughs> learning stuff every single day. So uh in no way shape or form would I try and present myself as a seasoned uh expert (laughs) by now but um I'm definitely uh at a point where I feel very comfortable with um you know uh the output of my work and uh the I'm very fortunate to um always get a chance to really go to town and express myself creatively with every single project that I do like there's never maybe in the very early days um like almost pre Thomas was alone there were a lot of jobs when you were trying to make your mark in the industry that you do just take on for the sake of taking a job on um but because I was so fortunate with the success of that I've been able to be a bit more selective and um kind of pick my projects a bit more carefully which I guess is why it's been you know relatively kind of sparse releases for me over the last few years because I really have wanted to make sure when you I think another aspect is when you do enjoy some early success there's very much an onus on you not to let your standards fall below that so yeah maybe um yeah i've been a bit more careful with what i do say yes to rather than just yeah madly kind of taking on everything
1: um
0: <laughs> but it's it's really nice to have um creative partners who trust you to be able to bring something original to the table uh, rather than. Um, asking you to, follow, uh, particularly in film, I think this happens a lot, you know, follow a temp or, um, give your best impression of someone else. Uh, every time I work on a project, someone's always asking me for, for me, which is, yeah, an incredible, um, responsibility to be given and something I always, um, thrive on. So,
1: yeah, well, it sounds like it's, uh, it's definitely working well for you. And uh, I have the feeling that you'll be just as humble even if we had this conversation in about 10, 20 years. You'd be like, yeah, well, the music's all right. You know, <laughs> I'm I still guess. learning. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, think, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that uh, I, I didn't go through the uh, formal training route that so many of um, mm, yeah. my amazing peers and colleagues have. And um, I'm constantly in awe of uh, the quality and standard of some of the orchestral work that goes on within the industry. Um, and... Uh, I think it's important to know, um, what your weaknesses are as much as what your strengths are. I'm not necessarily saying that I'm a weak orchestral writer at all. Um, but just that I feel like there are, there are other people who have complete mastery of that side of things. And, um, I like to be able to bring something different to the table, um, because other than, other than the real kind of, um, I'd say there's, we're actually in a really good time for, um it's had a bit of a renaissance uh some of the orchestral writing in games recently um but a lot of it can get quite samey and i feel like the orchestra is such a overused palette um when because of the advances in technology it, we all have a full orchestra at our fingertips and, yeah
1: all the virtual instruments and things
0: yeah exactly i think the prospects of particularly for newer composers um being able to experiment with such a grandiose sound is very attractive and naturally something that we uh, gravitate towards. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I actually think there's a lot more interesting possibilities uh, away from that and I think particularly in terms of searching for an original voice or um, something a little bit left of field uh I, I think you do need to kind of look at the wider sonic possibilities that we have these days and uh, something that i often do with my work is a combination of both um so i i like to use uh i, I don't think there's really any replacement for the kind of emotive beauty that you can get from you know a, a lovely uh string section oh yeah definitely
1: uh,
0: well played in a nice hall um but at the same token when you start to layer that with some interesting textures and sounds that you don't traditionally associate with it, not in a kind of hybrid Epic sense, but you know, in a more um, ambient and uh, I don't know. In a more uh, experimental
1: way or? Yeah,
0: precisely. I think that's really what kind of appeals to me and, um, sort of yeah turns me on as a composer
1: <laughs> yeah well it's one of those things that's how we developed newer music right people had rules and we went well why why do we have to do it that way you know let's do it this way yeah we'll yeah
0: yeah 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 so by the same token um the, the only way shape or form i could possibly be considered avant-garde is in my blending of um uh, i guess bodies of sound which traditionally shouldn't probably be put together like other than that i'm very much uh like i i, I don't know i don't have much interesting kind of um I think the lines between sound design and music are ever blurring and you can get some really awesome results from that oh, kind yeah, of definitely. ambiguity. But at the same time, I do like music to be uh, tonal and beautiful and to to have a reason and a purpose rather than kind of being just a cool experiment.
1: Yeah, I think every version has its place, right? It depends on the context.
0: Yeah, very much so.
1: So would you say that your kind of niche has changed since the beginning? So, you know, what you would have called your signature kind of sound in the beginning do you think that you have a, a different approach now and a different philosophy on it
0: in the sense that I feel like I I have a niche now whereas beforehand <laughs> I was just asked to do a job and I wrote what came naturally to me um which I guess in those early days was me kind of forming my sound yeah. um but uh no now I feel like um it's not something that I do intentionally but the music that I write does sound like me it's very Quite, it's quite easy to be able to listen to um, any of my scores and kind of hear some uh, sonic similarities uh, yeah. between them, um, certain certain sounds and techniques and so on and so forth that I think I probably subconsciously just build things around. I'm really, really attracted to um, post-rock um, and minimal uh, ambient music. Nice. Um, that's always been kind of the ultimate form of the art for me um that's interesting the way that certain bands yeah i mean certain bands like um explosions in the sky uh there's a, a, an amazing japanese uh band called mono um wrote one of the most beautiful albums i've ever heard in my entire life and i think um most of all uh, there's a band called hammock um that i just absolutely adore are probably my favorite band and um all i ever really tried to do when i set out to Uh, Writes a score or even uh, just a piece of music is to try and achieve something um as beautiful as uh what these people are creating themselves um and i used to get loads of really weird looks when i was doing thomas was alone interviews and people would ask you what your um main inspirations and references were and stuff and I'd be like I just start reeling off like these post-rock bands <laughs> and I, I think everyone was like kind of expecting me to maybe give like some more symphonic references yeah. or maybe even some kind of uh I don't know uh EDM references because of the uh 8-bit stuff that I put in there but um really no it's uh I guess kind of in terms of uh in terms of arrangements and uh structurally I am really hugely influenced by these kind of songs but I just um work with a different palette and kind of apply different songwriting sensibilities to different places you know writing pot song essentially pot song uh, structures but within uh within an orchestra um I guess you know it's kind of what has worked for Hans Zimmer so well over the years not comparing myself with him by any means <laughs> whatsoever but um he essentially writes rock music for an orchestra yeah and it's, um, it's a lot more accessible for a modern uh, a modern audience, perhaps, than, you know, a sort of chamber um, chorale um, sound would be. Although that is very much making a renaissance now as well. Yeah. Um,
1: but it all circles background, right? In
0: some way or another. It does, yeah. And I think it's kind of cool to mix things up. Like I was actually taught composition at university by a guy called Ian Kerno who used to write all of the music for Pete Waterman's label oh, in no the 90s. Way. Yeah, man. So... <laughs> Um, All of the music for kind of Kylie Minogue, Boys Home, Westlife, or whatever, like this guy wrote all of them. Yeah, so he, (laughs) there is really no one better to kind of impart on you the importance of uh, capturing an audience's attention, making sure your arrangements are always snappy, well written, every note is there for a reason. And these are all kind of lessons and techniques that I've taken on board myself and that I apply in my writing. Uh, for game scores yeah um so it 's a completely different school of thought and um approach towards composition than uh, anyone who 's been to a, a classical conservatory um will have had um it, you know not not better or worse by any means they 'll be a lot more gifted uh, technically and in their knowledge of um music theory than i and i 'll also probably be able to write something which is a bit more accessible and kind of instantly enjoyable by you know uh, a lay person on the street so yeah. it 's just um you know, just just the way that I've learned, and I, I think the old saying uh, in English is just as applicable to music. You need to write what you know, and um, apply kind of your own, whatever your own strengths are. You know, you can bring to any genre. For instance, I had to write a jazz uh, score um just before Christmas. Never written jazz my entire life before, so I spent about like the first month just kind of teaching myself the absolute basics although really i feel like i could have spent the first two years of the project <laughs> teaching myself basic jazz yeah. and not even got close but um you know i i taught myself enough that i could give my interpretation of a jazz score um so uh, and that's going to sound very different from uh you know someone who was a trained jazz musician all of their lives approaching the subject that i know so well
1: oh yeah of course i think it's definitely part of a sort of new wave of composers though right people that start in either pop music or the music that they listen to and they want to write music so maybe they start in a band and they're like you know what I want to actually make something new I want to make something that works with uh, you know a video game or a film and and they come from that background as opposed to the traditional oh I've been trained as a composer I want to write music for film and games but I've come from a classical music background yeah and you know, I think the blend of the two is always going to be needed, right? Absolutely. So there's, there's always going to be those swings around about sort of like with materials such as music that is subjective, you're always going to have to have different perspectives in the mix.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I just feel like it's essential. Otherwise, there's never going to be any re- uh, revolution in the set. Like everyone's going to be drawing from the same palette and the same experiences and following the same compositional rules and regulations that they've all been taught. Um, I mean, you only have to look at the way that kind of Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross um, became Hollywood's hottest property uh, ever since kind of, I know it wasn't their first film, but The Social Network uh, beat Inception to the Oscar, um, which I don't agree with. (laughs) Um, but uh, (laughs) It it did kind of kickstart their career and they haven't looked back since then. And even before that, uh, Danny Elfman, uh, Hans Zimmer, you know, these are all people who came from band backgrounds and um, was rose right straight to the top of the industry. Yeah. But there's also a hell of a lot of people like James Newton Howard, Alexandra De Platt, who uh came from you know, the the old school of composition and are uh, still absolutely killing it at the top of their game and particularly Alexandra de Platt in recent years has basically had a monopoly on kind of all musical accolades going for uh <laughs> for movies. So um, you know, I, I think if anything it shows that there's there's room for both sides of the coin. And uh, we're seeing it a lot in games now as well. Um, uh, Jeff Russo um, mm. recently did the score for um, what became of Edith Finch, which I absolutely loved.
1: It got announced for a BAFTA this morning, didn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, BAFTA nomination, I should clarify, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I, I was really happy to see it. I would have loved to have seen uh, Life is Strange uh, before the Storm get an, uh, get an odd because I feel that is probably actually my score of, uh last year. Oh wow, really? I haven't heard that one yet, I have to admit. Oh, it's absolutely beautiful and it's um the whole thing was uh commissioned by the band Daughter. Oh yes you've heard of that yeah them. no yeah I yeah. Do
1: remember that being announced and really wanted yeah. to the soundtrack yeah.
0: For sure, yeah and they did an absolutely fantastic job with it and I do feel like that's something we'll probably start to see to see more of yeah. um as things progress.
1: I mean even the things like um I mean it's quite a few years ago now but it's like when Daft Punk did Tron
0: yeah yeah great point uh m83 um as well yeah what was the tom cruise film that m83 did as well oblivion
1: oblivion yeah that was yeah yeah. that was fantastic so
0: um you do you do see those crossovers becoming ever more present um as time passes and i I think it just kind of excuse me it just kind of blurs the line between uh i think beforehand you'd have films which were heavily based on licensed music and then you'd have films which were heavily based on original score Mm. and i feel this is kind of I guess, filmmakers trying to um, get the best of both approaches.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I'm curious, actually, I mean, we kind of dug deeper on this than I was originally planning, but it's quite a nice discussion. Um, where do you think music is sort of heading for, for the different mediums? And what do you think is coming next? You know, all this influence from bands um, has been going on for the last 10, 20 years, um, possibly even longer, really. Yeah. But what do you think is going to happen in the next 10 to 20 years?
0: Um 10 to 20 years is probably way further into the future than I've ever looked in my entire life. So (laughs) um, it'd be very difficult, but yeah, next five, (laughs) next five years, uh, next five to 10 years. um, We are definitely going to see uh, (laughs) this isn't going to be very popular, but I really do think we're going to see more uh, artists and um, kind of bands uh, doing the jobs that we would traditionally associate with uh, standalone composers it's just uh, it's a trend which um, is only increasing rather than going away and I do think it's something we're going to see a lot more of particularly is um, the way that the music industry is currently um, it's incredibly difficult for even some of some artists who you may perceive to be doing very well will be earning a fairly average wage in comparison with what a layperson, that, you know, I don't know what the average salary is in the UK, but maybe like 25 to 30 grand a year or something. I mean, you'd be surprised that how many of the bands that like we perceive to be quite big will be on very similar money. Oh yeah. um, You know, uh, it's just not, It's not the way that it used to be, and um, it's the old
1: cliche, isn't it, that while they're not on tour, they're working in a fish and chip shop or something, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that is probably the one remaining lucrative source of money from uh, live music is, you know, doing the, um, well, obviously, um, doing the live shows and stuff, but also the merch. Yeah. uh, That you sell, I think that's you you make way more money from that than you do from your record deal, Um, and I think when more people start to see the success and the kind of money which is available in games because there's never been more money available in games than there is currently like so, some of the funding floating around crazy, for around promising indie projects is uh, just staggering and I've, you know it's, it's a great sign to be a composer because people <laughs> yeah. you <know>, i've been <laughs> people have very been <laughs> fortunate to uh, yeah exactly you know um have some incredible opportunities with um what are technically still indie projects but with extremely large budgets yeah. and um, there really needs to be some big differentiation uh, between a team of 15 people working with a high six figure or low seven figure budget to the kind of stereotype of an indie uh, one guy on a laptop in his bedroom because oh, yeah. uh, it just does not it does not cover the kind of gamut of different studio sizes that there are within this kind of same umbrella term
1: and with everything being so accessible do you think the bar is just so much higher now in terms of like you know back in the day if you were good with sequencing and good with some virtual instruments you could pretty much get away with being quite a good composer if you had a few skills yeah, and now yeah it's like it's so easy to just get that production value out of the box do you think it that, is. Like, oh, how, do, how to add your own spin to it and to make sure it's something unique, you've really got to put some elbow grease in now?
0: Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good way of putting it. It's also something that I'm really hugely in favor of. Um, I know a lot of people, um, aren't so keen on how, I mean, I, I don't, I don't love the fact that the marketplace is so saturated now. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't threaten me, um, in any way, shape or form. Um, I I wouldn't want to be someone starting out now because it is such an even playing field. I feel like I came into things just at the back end as technology started to become more accessible. Um, So it was accessible enough that I was able to um, get into the industry. Um, But it it was also still a time that if you could afford afford to buy Symphobia, uh, your work would (laughs) instantly sound better than the majority of other amateur composers trying to get into it. Yeah. Whereas that's not, that's not a thing now. And um, I don't feel... I, I strongly believe that we should be judged on the the strength of our writing and the quality of our work and not by our access to a tool set. Yeah. Um. I think it's great that, you know, a really talented student can, for the sake of 30, 30 quid a month, um, have access to the entire East-West sound suite. Oh,
1: it's brilliant, isn't it?
0: Not that that's like, you know, the the best available or anything but more than competent enough to get your music and ideas across to a very high standard if you know what you're doing with it yeah definitely Um, I I think that's absolutely brilliant because it means that um, you're going to be judged on your talent now and not on kind of your wealth and ability to you know if you have rich parents or something Um, uh, a kid with a laptop who's practiced piano every day for his you know uh, waking life can now have his music you know heard by potential directors and developers uh at almost the same level as someone who's been working as a professional for the last 10 years or so which i think is awesome
1: yeah i mean it's great it's fantastic but in the in the same kind of side of the coin i guess the uh the minimum is different now
0: right in the same instance i don't think there's any excuse for having sloppy production yeah exactly that's what i will say yeah um there is no excuse for a demo sounding like a demo. A demo needs to sound like a fully realized, polished track. And if it doesn't, then uh, regardless of how good your music is, you're probably going to lose out on the pitch to someone who has bothered to learn how to, you know, (laughs) stick a compressor on a a master bus. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any excuse for that. Um, In terms of the writing, I feel like that's something that can take years to master and i don't yeah. i think anyone who considers themselves you know a master probably be a little bit conceited and arrogant anyway because there's always room to learn and there's always room to progress and someone who, you know someone who's um i don't know writes amazing beautiful kind of chorale symphonies or something may not be able to write you a four-piece band track yeah because it's not what they're what they're used to and uh or a has, track or something yeah 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 precisely so i don't i don't think anyone can ever kind of consider themselves um a complete uh, master of the art form and uh you should always be learning and different people are going to be on um further along with the journey than others um and it's just something that i would really stress upon kind of students to get handled before they start worrying about I think the temptation can be that your music sounds instantly awesome because of the level of technology and the accessibility of it these days so maybe you kind of rely on the production over the writing yeah you can you can hold down a couple of chords in Omnisphere and sound pretty much like Trent Reznor these days and (laughs) that's um that's quite quite exciting but also um it puts a lot more onus on you as a composer to try and do something a bit more than that and do something more interesting and intelligent with that um, because that is ultimately what's going to separate you from, you know, these hundreds and thousands of, um, you know, up and comers who now have access to the same stuff.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's definitely a long way from when I remember in high school writing with
0: Sibelius and
1: yeah. <laughs> getting, getting some MIDI yeah, tracks Yeah, out.
0: yeah. <laughs> Or Halion on a Cubase Yeah, a, exactly. in my yeah. case. But yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about it.
1: Uh. But um, in the same instance as well, actually, talking about what people have access to now, I think that a lot of, you know, especially, I don't want to say young, but I I mean young in terms of experience um, with regards to composers now, when they they get hung up on the wrong thing. So, you know, the the double-edged sword of social media, for example. Yeah. People get hung up on the brand and get hung up on getting out there, networking, and they do that side well. Right but they don't spend enough time on the craft and it was as, as as important as networking is yeah i think there is the danger of they they go to all the events they speak to everyone they're on twitter all the time they're on facebook all the time they're on instagram all the time yeah and then i can't help but sit back and wonder and go but when are you actually bloody writing anything when are you...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i would be lying if i said the same thought I hadn't crossed my mind before um yeah i know what you mean uh I, I mean, look, I guess if they can afford to do it, then they can They can afford to do it. Um, but you will get found out if... Um, uh, I think networking is probably more important than um, musical ability these days. Yeah. Um, but longevity... Um, in terms of longevity, uh, musical ability is key uh, because you can black yourself a job by networking with the right people, telling the right joke at the right time over the right <laughs> year yeah. can easily push you ahead of um, all of the competition. Uh, in the right circumstances but if you don't then deliver once you have crafted that opportunity for yourself they're going to go with someone else next time
1: yeah and that's it and
0: you're not going to receive any plaudits for your work uh when it does come out and it's just going to be another soundtrack that drifts by the wayside whereas if you have bothered to put in the same amount of time and energy into honing your craft and then you go out and you're an absolute demon with the networking that's when you can enjoy some real success in the industry
1: and that's it and it's definitely better that way around is it I mean, hone your craft make sure you can actually do the job before you talk the talk you know you've got, you've Absolutely. got to be out of the Absolutely. Kind of when you get given the opportunity
0: yeah i mean you only get one chance at a first impression and it's a it's a very small industry um yeah. pe- people talk and uh people will find out very quickly if you're someone who's good to work with or uh if you're someone to be avoided and it's very difficult to shake that kind of reputation once it gets set.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to name any names here, but I've I've been in a situation before where I'm like, I've seen them a lot, but I've, I've just never heard any of their work. Like <laughs>
0: <laughs> Right, you know? yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And yeah,
1: it's what made me think about it. I'm like, yeah, there is now and again where you're like, well, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's what happens. Maybe they'll get the gig with the benefit of the doubt because they are out yeah. and out and obviously putting some effort, a lot of effort in. Um, but yeah, and then obviously, like you say, they've got to deliver on that opportunity.
0: Well, often you find people are loudest when they have the littlest to talk about, yeah. because it's almost like a kind of fear of, um, uh, I don't know, being forgotten about or being ignored, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, like I, I'm the complete opposite of that. Like I, I'm awful with social media. Like <laughs> I, my agent is constantly saying, like you know, you need to kind of do more updates and stuff. But I, genuinely, man, when I'm kind of in the mindset of, um, you know, you juggling kind of multiple projects you've got multiple deadlines on you're trying to have a life outside of the industry oh
1: God, yeah, tell me about as well
0: it. and stuff like, like <laughs> I, I genuinely don't really have time to kind of just sit there and um talk rubbish on twitter yeah um so like, i try i try to do as much as uh, i feel is reasonable but <clears throat> i definitely could do more and um whereas that there are lots of people who i've kind of feel the opposite i like have a lot of time to talk about a lot of things but um I don't know, maybe they are doing the work in the background as well. But yeah. it's almost like uh, an attempt to stay relevant.
1: Well, I'll I will fully hold my hands up and say that I'm a, I'm a bit of a social media fiend now and again. So I can't really talk too much and throw too many stones around. But I I, I am working <laughs> well, hard. Good. In the that's background probably why as well. people
0: know that's but... <laughs> probably why people know what a sound architect is. Well I was gonna so, say yeah. it sort of comes with the
1: it comes with the uh, comes with the territory of running a site really rather than anything else. It helps, right? So yeah. Um so I suppose my next my next question is more On how you've developed your philosophy with music over the last few years and whether you've changed your tool set in terms of the actual tech.
0: Yeah. um, Since the beginning. Yeah, good question. I think probably the single most helpful and important thing that I've done or changed uh, recently, uh, as in really recently over the last couple of years, uh, is that I don't buy new software anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I can't begin to tell you how. I wish I didn't um, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, honestly, when I first started out, I had one string library, one synth. Um, it was never a case of kind of, when you got a job, all you were focused on was you instantly loaded up your batches because it was all you had. And all you were focused on was writing the music and what notes were going to come next yeah whereas i got to a point i'd see something on sale i'd just buy it thinking oh yeah you know that'll come in useful one day and it's (laughs) cheap now so you know mate 90 percent of the stuff that i own has never been used like i get my favorites and i use them all the time on everything And i just bought so much stuff like hard drives and stuff that i just do not use and I just found it counterproductive. Like rather than kind of having all of these sonic possibilities at my fingertips, I found that every time that I was about to start a project, I'd waste like the first week just trawling through sounds and trying to put a palette together and um before you've even written a note, yeah. you've exhausted yourself and you're fed up of looking at a DAW and it's I don't know, it's just a dumb way of working for me. Like I always I always <laughs> think uh I always feel like that when I see um you know, some of the really big composers have started kind of doing vlog series oh, and stuff yeah, now. Oh like, yeah, the master um, classes. Junkie XL. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, yeah, there is that, but I mean like, uh, just kind of like, how to, like compositional how to videos, um, like John Powell and Junkie XL. Oh right, yeah. It's just fucking ludicrous. Um, <laughs> sorry, pardon my French. Um, like, 700 track templates, like, I do not see how that is quicker or speeds up your workflow than just going in and loading up a patch on it as and when basis yeah. when you need it like the amount of time that you'd spend just scrolling through
1: and the amount of times you go through at the end deleting all the tracks you didn't use <laughs> well yeah I,
0: I, I doubt they bother but like um, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know in a in a film school session i guess it is different from games because you would do everything presumably all in one session rather than having yeah, different sections spread up so um but so, yeah, even so man it seems like a really counterproductive way of working for me and um part of the beauty of a new project is kind of um I don't know, having that blank canvas it's in front of you and deciding. Palette, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Deciding what is going to be the sound of this game and stuff. But I like to do that, but within a limited. Um, I, I feel like there's a lot of kind of creative possibilities within limitations. And yeah. often one of the most um, intimidating things can be just having infinite possibilities and not knowing where to start.
1: I have to admit, I completely agree with that. And I mean, it's, it, there's an extreme of each, right? You know, having literally anything is too much. Yeah. And having too many constrictions, obviously, is too much. Yeah. But I think, as you say, when you work inside um, the box of limitations, you figure out where all the loopholes are or ways of being creative within your. Definitely. And Definitely. You, you unlock yeah. a lot more potential there.
0: Yeah, you really do. And I'm so pleased that I did start off with um, kind of such meager resources because um, I had to work a lot harder to milk anything from them and um, that kind of extra effort and skill that I had to put in just to make them sound passable is, you know, it helps me a lot now that you really don't need to do much massaging at all to make something sound good. So yeah, that's been really useful. Um, so yeah, now my rule is uh, unless it's a direct upgrade on something that I already own or it's like project specific. So uh, I've been doing a horror game recently. Oh, nice. uh, I don't really own. Yeah, I know. Finally, right. Um, <laughs> I don't, don't really own any kind of, um, I don't know sound sets which are kind of suited towards like horror scoring or sound design or anything. So I, uh, you know, bought bought a few of those yeah. uh, lately, uh, like NI Thrill and uh, you know some ADA stuff. And whatnot uh, because i know that i'm going to use it right now so i just yeah i don't buy things speculatively anymore no
1: well they try and get you though with the discounts did not they
0: well i almost went for the hands in the strings but, um, <laughs> i don't need enough string library and i definitely don't need 344 players so yeah i'll probably leave it for the time being yeah probably for the best um, <laughs> so yeah that was a really long-winded answer but basically limiting my limiting my palette um really forces me to focus in a musical sense rather than a you know uh production sense and um i think that's really the main kind of thing that i've consciously tried to change and i'm um, now enjoying the benefit of is i'm a lot faster yeah uh, with my writing i used to absolutely slave over a piece and particularly on thomas was alone when i was first starting out it would be very common for me to spend a fortnight kind of writing one track um i guess because i could yeah, um, yeah. but uh now you know i you know i can quite happily knock out a piece in a day or, you know, if, if I'm being precious with it a few days. Um, so, uh, which has enabled me to take on a lot more work. And um, I think learning to keep uh, the level of your writing uh, to the same quality as when you used to dick around for a week at a time <laughs> writing one piece, just being able to condense that into, you know, 24, 48 hour period is um, worth its weight in gold. So mm. uh, that's probably the most tangible improvement that I, I would, notice about
1: myself yeah and you you kind of pretty much answered my own uh my next question really already even using the term i was going to use i was going to say and do you think that um getting uh you know going through all these improvements has has made you less precious about the tracks and less attached to each one in terms of like oh focusing on that and being like this one's going to be amazing and oh my god it's not there yet and do you think you're less precious about it and like right okay do you know what that's good that's good enough and that's done let's do that one
0: I am, but I'm still too precious <laughs> about it. Um, I have improved a lot. Uh, I really have. Um, but I think because I'm quite, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I'm quite selective with the um, projects that I align myself with. It's not the most, um, I don't know, the, there are some composers who quite regularly have like five or six releases in a year.
1: Yeah,
0: and um, I mean, I could do that in terms of speed of writing, but I feel like creatively, I'm... I, I'm I do my the best work that i possibly could for each one of those but i think naturally you're not going to produce like five or six amazing soundtracks in such a short space of time Like i i see my creativity as being like a finite resource <laughs> that i <laughs> draw from like <laughs> in moments where it's most needed and uh you know i always want to kind of save the good ideas that i do have for the projects where they have the uh the best possible chance of you know resonating with an audience and uh so on and so forth so uh, yeah i can never do like library writing or uh, kind of ad writing where you just have to view your music as a disposable resource and yeah, you know just you just pump out stuff that. out for the sake of it yeah but at the same time um i've got a lot better at knowing when to say when on a track and i i guess knowing when something is finished or um when it's as good as it can possibly be without um I think the time that I stop now is when um, the the amount of effort it would take to improve it by another one percent would not warrant the amount of effort yeah. required to get that one percent out, um, and that's you know a balance that I'm uh, quite good at spotting now. So excellent.
1: Now that we've put the worlds of music to rights, you know, (laughs) after and said exactly how it should be done, and and,
0: (laughs) yeah, uh, yeah, because I definitely, of course. (laughs)
1: Um, Let's let's um, talk a bit more about Cube Two before I let you go. Sure. Um, So, great soundtrack. First of all, to start with, thanks, man. Fantastic stuff. Um, Do you have any favourite tracks or any favourite moments from the soundtrack?
0: Um, You know, it's it's all a bit too recent memory for me to have the objectivity to be able to <laughs> yeah. look back and. No, I hate of...
1: all of it. I wish it was it's just yeah. done.
0: <laughs> 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 it is very much at that stage of the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, I need to like not listen to it for <laughs> yeah. a good while now. Um, I don't know. Like you have that feeling when you're kind of, when you're writing, you know, you feel like you're really on to like, I had that, I had that feeling on um, a few tracks. Um, mm. The thing is like the, the in-game cues um, are so like I, I really had to kind of uh, work hard to build the soundtrack arrangements from what I did in-game because it's all uh, loops, layers, stings, transitions, which are triggered at various points in various orders depending on the player's actions. And yeah. it just would not have made for good listening if I directly exported kind of what I had in-game and then tried to put that out as a soundtrack. So yeah. I really did have to work quite hard at um, you know, making songs out of the assets that I'd created.
1: Wow,
0: yeah. Um, so... There were times in game when I kind of wrote a cue and I was like, oh, you know, this is going to be really good when people get to this part and stuff. And then by the time you come to actually making the soundtrack version of it, you've already um, had that experience when the music has touched you in that way. So then after that, it you know you can only feel like that the first few times you hear something. Yeah. And when you've been working with it, kind of listening to the same kind of two or three minutes of music every day for you know. Uh, weeks on end, like it ceases to have that effect on you, so it's quite difficult for me to look back and um, kind of point out, I I think Millie's theme I'm really happy with Um, it's the first track that you hear and it kind of um, sets you know, some of the the tone of the game um, uh, some of the emotional themes that you're going to encounter as a player throughout the story Um, I think it's a really nice blend of um, kind of some emotive writing, uh, but with kind of some of the, um, uh, the synth, uh, patches that we created, uh, to kind of create this, um, cool, like sci-fi dystopian, uh, environment. Um, so yeah, I'm really happy with that one. And, uh, there's, there's a track called Oasis that I, I really like because it's, um, it's just basically kind of solo strings and, um, uh, some like nice pads and ambiences that again, we kind of created, especially, uh, for the game so um there's something like really nice and minimal about it so uh, you, you know I me mean? i had to fit my kind of, of course, uh, yeah. my, <laughs> my ambient uh, sort of post-rock stuff in there somehow kind of so, in there, man. yeah post-rock <laughs> with a string quartet so yeah i really like i really like that track as well
1: awesome and what would you say kind of sets this track aside from your sorry that this soundtrack aside from your previous titles and what makes this one unique what makes it cube two
0: it's a real like progression. If you if you were to kind of listen to all of my work, it starts out very uh very heavily weighted on the organic side of instrumentation with uh little bits of electronica sprinkled over the top. Um volume was a real split kind of fifty-fifty split down the middle. Um, the self segments of the game, the stealth cues, were all very synth heavy. Right. And then the kind of action uh you've just been spotted by a guard cues were all almost, you know, just completely orchestra. Um this is the first time that the waiting is being completely on the synth side of things. So i basically kind of had to, I don't know, create an orchestra from um Synth Palette and uh I collaborated with an amazingly talented Synth programmer um to create a custom sound set in Omnisphere. Oh nice. Uh that we used. Yeah, so like I spent a long time kind of uh, researching and um, you know researching uh, essentially watching sci-fi films and playing sci-fi games by <laughs> oh, myself we're all familiar and,
1: with research <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly you know just kind of like making a note of um sounds and effects that i really liked and then we we went back and forth on kind of creating our own versions of those and putting our own spin yeah. on what's expected of the genre um and we got some really nice results so um i feel like <laughs> the most honest answer I can give you about what's different about it is the fact that we created every single sound that you hear in the game from scratch That's awesome. um, it, That's it, everything cool. was a hundred percent bespoke made for this game with this experience in mind uh to suit this environment and as such I feel like it really does kind of tie you in and it it, it, it just marries uh, to the imagery and to the narrative so well um so I'm very pleased with it uh, from that sense Excellent. um so at the same time it's probably some of the least melodic uh, writing that I've done before, which is quite atypical, um, for me, uh, cause that's not really the kind of music that I'm drawn to. So it was a different approach, kind of focusing on, uh, interesting textures and, um, you know, how to kind of get emotion across without, you know, playing a sad tune or something, you know, how to get a feeling across. Um, so it was, you know, yeah, it took me out of my comfort zone quite a lot actually, but, um, very pleased with the end results.
1: Yeah, yeah, well it sounds very, very interesting. And the the short answer then to what's unique is all of it.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, I guess so. Like, yeah, yeah. By the sounds I of it with a of it
1: before. Of all of it yeah. and, and everything,
0: yeah. Yeah, precisely. And also, you know, kind of blending uh blending some organic instrumentation in with all of that as well. Yeah, uh, without giving kind of too many spoilers away for the game. That's that's a very meta decision that we made. <laughs> They're kind of, you know, taking what's human and what's alien and you know them together so yeah
1: interesting stuff fantastic so before i let you go then what's what's coming up that you can talk about or what kind of hints can you give us that we should expect from you in the near future
0: um so i'm yeah i'm allowed to talk about a couple of things a couple of things i'm not um i've got a game called uh lost words uh which is going to be coming out either q four this year or q one next year
1: okay cool and
0: that's a um a 2d uh platformer um set within the pages of a young girl's diary um, and oh, she awesome yeah she's um she was raised by her grandmother um who uh passes away uh from a stroke and she uses this diary uh, to create um a fantasy world um, to kind of help her come to terms with uh, i guess the grief of using uh, losing her you know matriarchal figure
1: yeah.
0: um, and uh, the game transitions between uh the diary segments and uh, this fantasy world that she's created um so that's been amazing uh, to write for from a musical perspective and um there's a really good team involved um rihanna pratchett is writing the story for it oh, which wow, is fantastic just yeah awesome she's such a great writer so she's been an absolute pleasure to work with we've got uh I don't know man, like morris, we've got morris suckling who was uh, the writer on um uh, like the mafia games and uh, you know he's, he's done loads of real big AAA stuff who's uh, co-writing everything um we, we've got um the one of the sound designers from uh, guitar hero uh working oh, no on way. Uh, you know the audio for the game so we're doing some really interesting things with the interactivity um side of things um the artwork's being handled by uh one of the guys from fable um so it's really like beautiful luscious um, uh, you know, painterly environments and stuff, so yeah it's just it's just a really fun project, and um, I'm super excited to you know be able to start showing it around and stuff excellent um and then uh the other thing that I'm allowed to talk about is a game called transmission,, uh, which is actually another sci-fi game. Uh, but it's being made by a guy called Nathaniel West, who is a concept artist for movies. Oh wow! Um, he yeah he um, he works with Chris Nolan a lot, and he he <laughs> no did way. the artwork that's for awesome. like Inception and Interstellar, and yeah no he's he's done some really big stuff, and his artwork is absolutely incredible. Um, so he decided a couple of years ago that he wanted to make a game, and um, he's actually hand drawing every single scene oh in the God, game itself. Incredible. So yeah 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 yeah. So that's a ridiculous undertaking from a personal level, but a very, very uh, unique and original, exciting uh, right concept you. You to work to with. And... That's fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's all the same for me, man. So <laughs> I could count less. But yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, that's been really cool to work on, and um, we're uh, we're going to be pushing forwards with that. I'd, I think probably be looking at releasing next year on that one as well. And then uh, the other stuff is um, a bit more um kind of high budget rather than indie and uh i'm sworn to secrecy but there's some very cool things yeah i'll just vague book here and say there's going to be some big stuff coming in a year or two it's all very secret squirrel (laughs) isn't
1: it so indeed yeah (laughs) that's the
0: games industry for you yeah
1: yeah well maybe one day it will change i don't know what do you think
0: um i wouldn't have thought so but it would be nice if it did <laughs> no nah, it'd be nice but no nah. it would be nice yeah i don't know I, I think indie games are a lot better but um you know the open, top yeah. end, like, yeah, yeah yeah
1: definitely well fantastic um it's been awesome having you back on the podcast david i've really enjoyed our chat today and i hope that uh we'll be seeing you again soon in the near future
0: yes mate yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and yeah you know chat soon
1: as always and and take care of yourself mate look after yourself.
0: Yeah all the best man.
1: Bye.